Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rumor Flies. I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. And we're here with our buddy Greg from In-Depth Media, as always. What up? Today, we have a, another great episode for you. The other ones weren't as great, but this one's a great one. Yeah, this, this one's pretty pretty great. It's a continuation of a, an, uh, a topic that we covered last season, so we decided, you know what? Fuck it. We'll do another one. See mm-hmm. what happens. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be talking about drugs. Yes. A uh, little caveat, don't do anything illegal. That's that's what we're going to go with. We nope. said enough last time. We had like a caveat for every damn episode. I think we told people not to use a guillotine last season, but, you know, <laughs> guillotine, whatever. But, you know, just don't do anything illegal. You'll thank me for all the lawsuits we haven't gotten. Yes. So now we said that this is our video supplement. We're going to be doing all the <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so... I guess uh, we got uh, plenty of topics tonight. It's going to be a little less uh, focused than the last one, but, you know. This one's going to be fun. fun. Oh, yeah, really fun. Fun with drugs. We get to hit on some very current event type of deals, you know, some topics that have shown up on Facebook and also some more traditional things that have gone down the pipeline in the past. And we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to start off here, and I'm going to be talking about poppy seeds. Now, Ryan, I've heard this so many times before. I'm assuming you have, too. Greg, jump in here if you haven't, that if, if you eat poppy seeds, uh, it will register a positive on a drug test. Yes, for heroin, I believe. Yes, heroin. Not in some time, but I definitely remember hearing or opiates that. in general. I was going to say specifically opiates, but heroin. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the question, you know, the, the basic question is, is it possible if you ingest poppy seeds that you will get a false positive? And yes, it actually is 100% true. It, it does happen. That's yeah. I, I, I can't say that I would have like doubted that one. No, exactly. <laughs> like well, yeah, what, anything with poppy seeds. Yeah, I was gonna say like a bagel, a muffin, piece of cake, uh, McDonald's hamburger, whatever. All right. So permission to shit on this real quick, Josh. I don't know if you covered it yet, but I just wanted to give my reasoning for it. All right, go ahead. All right. So poppy seed is used to for the initial production of almost every opiate that's on the market today from heroin to uh, morphine to a lot of other different types of p- legal painkillers but scheduled ones obviously uh, and just it's how you uh, I guess extract it and alter it through the process of production that leads to it and that's why all opiates kind of register the same in a lot of drug tests at least the very specific ones so I'd imagine if you're eating the precursor then you might get a little bit of the active ingredient registering as opioids in the test. Yeah, uh, that's about it in your topic, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so opiates are still detectable in your urine for up to 48 hours after uh, ingesting poppy seeds. But yeah, Ryan, you, you basically hit the nail on the head. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, so, But for those of you who don't know, like me, opium is a milky substance that is actually extracted from the seed of the pod of the opium poppy. Milk of the poppy, just like in Game of Thrones. I was waiting for you to say that. Ha! <laughs> the seed pods contain the opium, which also contains the poppy seeds. So that means there is some kind of cross-pollination that is going on there uh, because they're located right next to each other. I mean, it's inevitable. But the seeds don't actually contain the morphine, but during harvesting, the seeds can become coated or be absorbed by the opium extract. So that's where uh, the problem comes from with these tests. Okay. So in terms of you can register for a drug test... Wouldn't that mean you'd also, if it's enough for a drug test, you'd be able to feel that effect? 
No, 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 no. You won't, you won't feel anything like that. I mean, it won't, there's, there's nothing in there that's going to make you feel like you, you're on opium or heroin or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Cause you can make opium tea. Right. Like if you have enough opium, well, enough, um, poppy seed with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, there, there's like, to my knowledge, uh, Greg, <laughs> can you, uh, ingest enough poppy seeds to feel the effects of being on opium or something similar? Specifically look up poppy tea. I think that'll get you somewhere. Yeah. There we go. While uh, while Greg's doing that, um, it, it's actually pretty common for people to uh, get in trouble because they they ate a donut or a bagel or something that had poppy seeds on it. They got fired. Uh, one instance was a police officer was suspended for four months because of a false positive test. Uh, it showed a positive hit for morphine after he ate four poppy seed bagels the day before. Now, the, the news source said four poppy seed bagels. I'm, we can all agree that it was probably donuts. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> We're not one to stereotype here, but... Well, <laughs> my favorite thing about this, though, he brought this up and he's like, no, I, you know, I, I didn't do any drugs, you know, whatever, and... They're like, okay, fine. So the way we're going to test this is we're going to get somebody else to eat for poppy seed bagels or AKA donuts. And then we're going to test them to see if the same thing happens. And it did. So that's what saved his ass. Oh, okay. See, that's my question now though. Cause like if you, if that is the easiest way to confuse a test, I mean, there's always the debate of like, if somebody gets caught drunk driving, their best thing to do is just like run out the car, open up an unopened handle, a jack and just start chugging it just to, you know, mess with the test. What about this deal where every time somebody registers for, you know, opium, why can't they just eat a donut beforehand or say they did and then they're off the hook, like, consistently? Well, there is, and I'm going to get to this later on, um, so you just completely sh** on everything. No, I was setting you up, man. <laughs> but basically what it is is they, they're testing, and it's not that there's a certain amount of uh, poppy seeds or opium in their system. It's that there is a presence of it at all. And one of the things I'll get to later on, but they raised the threshold for the amount um, that they they detect that the test can read in your system before it it comes back as a positive test as opposed to a false test. I'm seeing a lot of things that are saying the the reports are very conflicting. Um, there is a ABC News thing I was all about it where um, allegedly these parents said they think it killed their kid, um, but they huh. also acknowledge the fact that there hasn't been any confirmed other cases, and so. There is just it's it's one of those things where there's just not a whole lot of information on it. Um, just based on this ABC report, and I'm seeing like all these Google hits. All the first hits are completely different. Is it all Arrowhead? <laughs> but the uh, it's all uh, basically the whole point being that um, it seems like the jury might be out on this. Um, I'm just not. I, I imagine if I spent more time on it, but I'm just nothing's jumping out that says true or false in this case. But I am seeing a lot, like you're saying about failing tests. But as far as it actually getting people high or killing people, it seems to be. Well, one thing for me is why I would not even try anything like the poppy tea. Because it's it, illegal. Oh. Well, you know, <laughs> as much of a law-abiding citizen as I am, if I had to look for another reason not to do it is because, do you know the major symptom from almost any opiate, even in hospitals, like morphine or anything like that? Feeling good and having a great time? No, you can't sh for days, man. Oh, no, that's yeah, not fun. Yeah, tons of constipation, and I could not live with that. It kills Vega in Pulp Fiction. <sighs> Spoilers. Wait, that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually a pretty good, that's a damn good point. Didn't right? even think about that. Movie roundtable, let's put that in there. <laughs> well, so besides the police officer, another woman lost her job at an inner city health center because one of her favorite meals was a lean corned beef and provolone on a poppy seed bagel. That actually <laughs> sa that sounds pretty good. 
I know. I read that too. I was like, that that sounds pretty good. There's some Thousand Island on there. You have like a very fucked up Reuben. <laughs> a breakfast Reuben. I can, I can get behind that. A, a Reuben. A Reuben. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, they, they've taken a lot of like drastic measures though because they've had so many false positives come back. And one of the things is that federal prison rules prohibit inmates from eating uh, most things contained with poppy seeds. And it's especially true for inmates on furlough, uh, which for those of you who don't know, furlough is when they uh, allow an inmate to leave for a short period of time. Everyone listens to Fetty Wap. They've heard the term furlough. <laughs> but, it, it's all, but it also holds true for inmates in a halfway house. A lot of them were sent back to prison because they failed drug tests because of these poppy seeds. Huh. So you could possibly, you know, trade a lot of cigarettes for a poppy seed donut or bagel in prison. You know, that's some contraband right there. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Although man. I don't see that benefiting you at all. I mean, if you're already in prison, you know. I guess if if you're Brooks and you want to stay a little while longer, then I guess that's the way to go. Shawshank Redemption, anyone? Yes, okay. I got it. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to add is uh, one one positive note. Like I said earlier, before Ryan shit all over it. Federal agencies have raised the uh, threshold of opiates in, in, in uh, the drug testing system in effort to uh, to cut out a lot of these false positive tests. So if you're going to have a drug test, stay away from the poppy seeds. Uh, just a word of advice. Only do a little bit of heroin, just a tiny bit of heroin. <laughs> Splash. So uh, if, if you're taking medication, don't eat uh, grapefruit. And if uh, you can take a drug test, don't do poppy seeds. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay. All right, does that uh, wrap up uh, poppy seed, Josh? Okay. So for my topic, this is going to be the science-y one on my end of the night. After that, it's going to be less of y'all hearing me drone on with complicated words. But uh, it also involves drug testing. It's going to be a lot of the myths and possibly facts on how to bypass a drug test for THC. Once again, everybody, don't do anything illegal. Greg's looking at me with the biggest death eyes and precautionary eyes. I don't know. We must give you warnings of the devil's lettuce. (laughs) He's giving me like that please no look like a little baby rhino looking at some poachers right beforehand. So. (laughs) What the f***? Our life. Our life. I mean, these things happen. (laughs) Human horn. Oh, human. (laughs) (laughs) So let's do this back on the tracks. (laughs) So... (laughs) Throughout forensic history, people have been busted for smoking weed, actually, since the Controlled Substance Act of, I think, 1970. Greg can look up that year eventually, but that's not important at the moment. Uh, The idea behind this is that for drug tests, THC is the most widely tested for drug in, I want to say, the modern era of drugs. 1970. Yeah, I I got it right on the dot right there, probably because I was researching this type of stuff. And I didn't write it in the notes. <laughs> hey. Believe it or not, we look stuff up. Hey, Greg, Brian knows shit, okay? Hey, that's your tagline. You can't tack that on me. He knows things. I know crap. Um, so, cannabinoids, which are metabolites of THC, which is the active ingredient marijuana that gets you high. Yeah, it does. Are tested mainly through saliva, blood, hair, and nails. Those are the most known methods for detection. And semen? I don't know about semen. I'm not even going to ask Greg to look it up because that just takes too much time. <laughs> but I don't think that anybody's asked for a spank bank sample in order to like find out if they've been smoking weed or not. That'd be interesting, but I don't think that that's one of the preferred methods. Well, that actually, funny enough, that's actually one of the, uh, the precursor questions for when you donate at a sperm bank. What? Do you smoke marijuana? If, if you smoked marijuana within the last X amount of time. Huh. Oh, my God. That's interesting. 
I don't know from personal experience. What did you find on Google, Greg? The first hit. Can you detect THC in semen? The first hit is on fearsandherdy.com, which is a as a. Like a, it's like a um a uh, uh dear whatever like column thing. When person like writes and asks a oh, question. Oh, like dear Abby. Yeah, dear Abby. Thank you, dear Doctor Miro. My boyfriend smokes a lot of weed, and we don't use condoms. I have a drug test next week. Can I <laughs> test positive oh my God. for THC from him coming inside? <laughs> Sincerely, naturally paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> This was not planned out. <laughs> That's great. She gets all read? bases covered. Wow. What the hell did I just read? That's great. Okay, sorry. Greg, you read up on that while I cover this, but we yeah, need to get the answer to that by the end of this. this. I want a three-page report MLA oh format. God, this is the first hit. That's great. I'm glad Jesus. I could do that for This you. is why I use incognito mode. <laughs> so we're going to go by, once again, the more common methods for drug detection, THC in particular. And the most popular methods is by immunoassay of the urine. And the reason for this is because THC is extremely lipophilic, which means that it readily bonds to fats in the urine and kidneys and in the liver as well. So this allows for a slow dilution rate through the urine since a normal person would not be peeing out a whole lot of fat at one time. So therefore, the amount of THCs very, very slowly gets seeped out by that method. Now, whether you test by the hair, which is actually used to, like, it's almost like uh, counting the rings on a tree. It lasts in hair for months afterwards. Like, that's why I like people shave their head before a drug test if they're doing something more specific like that. Okay. Um, the saliva, you can get higher concentrations of THC and probably the most representative, but it goes very fast. So urine is probably the best example because it stays in the urine and it, it continuously seeps out little by little by little in higher concentrations. So what's the difference then if I have a drug test in a week and I just, I'm pounding waters, just flushing out my system? Uh, we're going to get to that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got that. With this, we're going to go ahead and get to some of the myths that will evade P-tests, which is what most companies do when they're testing people. Uh, it's, you know, almost any job, they ask you to do a drug test. Uh, almost any sort of probationary thing, they ask you to do a drug test, and it's all through urine. You have to pee in a cup, and then if you don't register, then you're going to go ahead and get that job, unless you're really underqualified for it afterwards. Well, I mean, that's also the cheapest test as well, right? It's the simplest and cheapest. Yes. So about that, actually... Uh, a lot of tests are backed up through two different things. So the main P-test that people do is by immunoassay, which means that it looks for certain proteins or enzymes that are cooperative with the cannabinoids in there. It's a little like a like a little dip test. Like, you know how in like science class, like how you have like, the for, pH like, level? Yeah, like pHs, you know, for fish tanks or, you know, uh, other things. There's a few different types of tests like that. Like pregnancy tests. That's another thing. That's an immunoassay. Yeah. They do the same thing for cannabinoids. I was going to say a swimming pool, but we'll go that. Yeah, same thing. Oh, man. I want to cover that one. We're doing it. Uh, yeah. If they have the magical makes your pee blue chemical, that'd be uh, great. Yeah, the whole thing if you, if you pee in a pool. <laughs> Listeners, don't let us forget. Email <laughs> oh, us every week. That's a good one. Yeah, that one's going to be good. So getting back to these amino assays, there are several different ways that people say that you can evade this pee test. And there are so many different resources. It is ridiculous. And uh, we're going to only go over a few of them, but... We're going to go for the big hitters. So the first one, Josh, the one you are addressing, mainly water. 
Yeah. And I'm going to group these together real quick. The main three that I saw were all kind of grouped together. Water, pickle juice, and vinegar. Okay. So I guess by by my dumb logic, what they're hoping or what people hope that would do would be dilute the THC in the system so much that it wouldn't register on, on the test. Exactly. Okay. At least that's what people are saying for water. So with water, yes, it would actually dilute your urine if you were to drink about a liter about three to four hours before the test and then just go pee it all out. Now, that would have worked way back when, but there have been a few different steps that they've taken throughout forensic history to make sure that the water test doesn't very much work. you telling me that science got smart as shit now? They get smarter than shit. Uh, so the main thing that they did first was they went by a color test. They judged by the yellowness of pee to see if they had diluted it by drinking a lot of water beforehand. Now, there are a lot of legal loopholes that you can go through where it's just like, no, I've just been really hydrated and this is how much water I drink normally. And to jump onto that, people found out how to cheat that by doing the color test by taking something called niacin, which is found in a lot of different energy drinks or uh, B12. Both of those will make your pee more yellow. However, they don't do that anymore. So I was going to address those two by themselves, but that's pretty much the basis for using the B12. It's because it makes your pee more yellow and look more authentic instead of being diluted. Okay. But they don't do that anymore. They have something that's a little bit smarter, which I think is very interesting. Uh, It's something called creatine. Oh, that's what you take to make your muscles full of water. Yeah, it's in a lot of pre-workout and such. But creatine, it's also in meat too. Yeah. Uh, so creatine is one of the byproducts of your urine. It can be detected. And one thing they do to match up next to the THC levels is they test for creatine as well. So if your creatine levels are looking very low, then it means that you are probably trying to dilute it and they'll either retest or they'll do the second thing, which is my bread and butter. If an amino assay has a potentially false positive because those can happen false positives can actually happen yeah we talked about poppy seeds yes and i guess that'll go ahead and go into the next thing i was going to talk about aspirin and painkillers they can also yes interfere with a drug test amino assay specifically because a lot of people have said you should take like four or five aspirin before taking a drug test number one liver damage we'll talk about that real quick liver damage <laughs> it can happen yeah so with that being said painkillers yes can interrupt with an amino assay but they have different backups for that, and they have the more specific testing, which is chromatography, and that is what I do for a living. Chromatography is my bread and butter. It's either HPLC or GCMS. Uh, pretty much what that is is just the way of taking a little sample and either by extracting it through liquid or gaseous means, you can run it through and break it down to its most elemental forms of like taking a molecule and busting it up and turning it into little tiny bits. And the way it fractures is a fingerprint for that molecule. So what you're basically saying is like, if I were to take a brick wall and I were to take a sledgehammer to it and I would get like little shards, is that kind of similar to what you're talking about? It'd be more in the fact that like a certain brick wall by this company would, if you hit it with a cannonball, shatter in this way and one from this company would shatter in this way. And by looking at those two different ways they shatter, you can tell what that original wall was. Okay. It's more of you've been given the pieces afterwards. And I then gotcha. the way it fractures can tell you exactly what type of molecule that is. And that is a very specific type of testing. And you can get it to like the parts per billion level and just regular standard industry. Uh, and you can get it to parts per trillion usually. I'm getting ahead of it. But anyway, if you have a positive, they will test it again 
by means of HPLCMS or GCMS, which will tell you definitely what is in there because the immunoassays can be interfered with. But those just give you the idea of like these certain things that they can be tested for. So it's kind of like, you know, how blue is this? Well, let's find out by actually getting a good measurement for pH. You know, you have the little dip strips for pH, but you also have machines that can tell you the exact number of it from like, you know, 1 to 14. Now, for this type of uh, test, the HPLC or GCMS will decide exactly what compound that is. So you can differentiate opiates or THC metabolites. There's no escaping it. If they have a false positive on there, they think they have one, and you try to like you know get around it by saying, oh, no, I took that, they can take another sample and just be like, no, we know exactly what's in there. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's either they catch you on the first round, but if you somehow dodge the first round, it sends off a thousand warning sirens and they do the next level instead. Yes. So and either way, they're going to get you the first or the second round. And with the water dilution, they can retest as much as they want to. Well, l- let me ask you this. How often is there where you have a false positive at first, then you come back and then they say, oh, well, you know, it tested positive for the first time, but our second sample, there wasn't an issue. And there's a specific reason I'm asking for this. So but just, just answer that for me. So I don't work in a forensic lab. I would love to. Or I don't work in a drug testing lab either, I would like to say. But I know a little bit about it, and from what I understand, that does happen. Uh, there's a lot of companies that when they send these drug tests to other labs that are around here, they test exactly for that. Urine samples, blood samples, everything. And if there's even a hint of a hit in any of these samples, they will retest it immediately. And sometimes it'll come up negative the second time. And there can be situations where somebody just took a lot of aspirin and had that drug test and they were clean, And then it doesn't show up as anything. So really, it helps the people that actually are not taking that drug that they're trying to test for. And it also hinders the people that are taking it and trying to cheat the test. But they did some sort of habit that would signal it, but they don't end up getting a true false positive. They have repercussions. This brings up a really interesting point that I didn't think about before this, but I'm really glad we went down this avenue. Uh, One of the most things that the, the biggest problem right now in the NFL. Yeah, I'm bringing sports in here the drug testing and there have been so many people that have been suspended because of a positive test and then they test it again and then they say oh well you know that test wasn't positive or athletes will say well i was at a you know a club in vegas and people were smoking weed around me and i must be inhaling secondhand smoke so we're gonna get to that real quick even though we were gonna throw i was gonna throw this on the docket but i didn't you can't get high off a second well sorry you cannot fail a test off of secondhand smoke well, the, my question is, is that huh. you because have, the THC is taken in through the lungs. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I totally get what you're saying, but my my question is, you have these athletes that are getting paid millions of dollars a year, and you have the NFL, which is a multi-billion-dollar company. I mean, they the NFL is bathing in money. I mean, they they literally just they're Scrooge McDuck style, just jumping into a room full of gold. Why can't they get a more accurate test? You know that that is maybe not a hundred percent, but you know, there's a lot of false positives that happen in the NFL on a regular basis. So as much as I'd like to say that anybody with a chemistry degree is of the utmost respect and honor. Yeah. Sometimes things can happen where a, it really depends on the retest. I would be willing to bet that most of the time when there is a false positive, quote uh-huh. unquote, they retest the person. Oh yeah, as in like they take another sample. Oh the, no, they have mul- They I mean they have multiple sets of uh, of one sample. Like you know, you pee in a cup and they like divide it up in like the four different cups and they test one and then there's a false positive they test another whatever whatever whatever. But my question then becomes, how 
I mean, how do you think it's possible that an athlete will test positive because he's taking maybe too much aspirin? Possibly. I mean, I can't give you a legit answer, uh, you know, yeah, from yeah, the studies. No. But, I mean, I don't think that they... By the way, the methods that I told you just now, by retesting by HPLC, MS, or GCMS, uh-huh. there's no way that you could come up with a cannabinoid from aspirin. It's two completely different uh, chemical groups. You don't have to like worry about it. Like The way that it, it uh, f***s with the assay... The amino assay, that's just kind of like a broad thing. Like, you know, usually for those dipsticks, it's a lot of different things thrown into one. It could be anything from opioids or from marijuana. And it just like if it has one of those things in there, it'll turn a color. Like it's a broad thing. And that's where they go further with it. Fun dip. Yeah. Or unless it's a standardized (laughs) test. Yeah, it's a fun dip. Let's call it a fun dip. (laughs) If you had too much fun, you're going to dip in this and they'll find out. Okay, I mean, that's just a really interesting thing that I never really thought about. I'd uh, like to cover that more because there's also the whole deal about, you know, I've always heard the whole thing with, like, the NFL always tests only the second string. Oh, that's not true. So maybe we can get another sports episode going. We'll but see. long story short, yeah, there's tons of false positives that happen, but at the same rate, I'm willing to bet they're not all going to the same tester. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. So that's it's kind of hard to really give a judgment on that. Um, wrapping up this ep- this thing, I'm going to give a few, like, quick round ones that everybody also probably has in their list of little remedies for passing a drug test. Uh, pickle juice and vinegar. It's supposed to lower the pH and mess with the uh, level that can be detected of the cannabinoids. And actually, it works for only saliva tests, which nobody uses. <laughs> so nobody uses that anymore unless it's like a field test swab, and I and would be willing to bet they still wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and also, yeah, total acid reflux afterwards. So what you're telling me then is that it only makes a difference uh, for a saliva test if you're salty? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Right after that, you have chemical cleaners. Uh, I'm just looking off a list right now, and I see chemical cleaners, and it says some people sip bleach. Just straight up don't f***ing do that. I don't even need to explain why you shouldn't be drinking bleach, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Pectin. I have not heard this one, but eating pectin does not help you pass a drug test. What pectin does do is act as a preservative as a gelling agent and jams, jellies, and pie fillings in some milk drinks. In addition, it is used as dietary fiber for many uh, of the foods we eat. Okay. I didn't need to know that about that. Herbal teas. Straight up bullshit. Okay. Uh, any of the herbal anythings we're going to go ahead and just chalk up to. We'll go the whole, this is not approved by the FDA for anything, and please stop trying to take this for any actual medical issue. But for the drug test, it won't eliminate that type of thing. Do you hear that? What? Is, is, is that Dr. Oz? Well, yeah. Is that a Dr. Oz reference? <laughs> Doctor? Doctor? Mehmet? Mehmet? Is that you, Mehmet? It's coming, motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, let's see, herbs and herbal supplements, once again, uh, we'll go for the quote from this website. The ever-popular golden seal falls in the category, but much like herbal teas, there is no evidence whatsoever to support the claims that any herb can cleanse urine of drugs or their metabolites. Energy drinks, that falls into the niacin and B12 category. That is an outdated thing, archaic, that is outdone by creatine at this point. And then we have the past your drug test drinks, which you will see at every <laughs> headshot possible. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like pay an absurd amount of money for pretty much one of those fucking grass or juice shakes you'll find over at Whole Foods. Nice. Just take whichever one you want. They're not going to work. <laughs> just make sure it tastes good at least. <laughs> at least enjoy your money's worth. Because everything that I just mentioned aside from bleach, I hope, is all those things thrown into one of those drinks. 
You know, you'll have like a little little pickle, a little bit of hibiscus, a little bit of chamomile, a little little bit of B12. Yeah, all these natural things. None of that will help you. And if it does, it's in such dilute amounts that it's still not going to help you unless you've been preparing for three or four weeks, which means you should stop smoking weed in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. If you want to pass a drug test, make sure that you start trying not to uh, pass it. Well, sorry, trying not to fail it about at least a month or two beforehand. Stay hydrated and do some exercise and then you'll be good. I mean, I'm not going to try to like candy coat anything with this. I'm not suggesting anybody do drugs, but you are not. The only way to not, the only way not to fail a drug test is not freaking have drugs in your system. Yes. That's really the point here. Well, it's like the most. Like, the, we're not going to judge you for your life choices. As but. Jim Carrey would say, <laughs> stop breaking the law, asshole. <laughs> That's like the, the, the most surefire way to not get pregnant is to not have sex. Yep. I mean, technically, it's correct. It's, is it reasonable? Probably <laughs> no, not. No. But is it technically true? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and pretty much what I'm telling you, if you want to pass a drug test, stop doing the drugs. There's I mean, no, it's true. There's it's no cheat way is. for it. Um, well, I think, Ryan, that makes a nice segue into my topic on crack babies. Yeah, great. Uh, good. Oh, really quick. Um, so according to that little thing I found, um, he says categorically no. It doesn't happen. But the opening line is worth mentioning. If testing positive for THC from ejaculate intake was possible, there would more than likely be a Seth Rogen film that that was a subplot. <laughs> I mean, he did come out of a movie called Sausage Party, so you never know. The knocked up pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> now we can go on to you. So crack babies, like I was saying. This was an interesting topic for me because I really didn't know how I would feel covering this, but I'm really glad that I did. Because it's an interesting um, media scare, uh, to, to put it simply. Uh, Ryan, what do you what did you know about? Do you know anything about the the whole crack baby revolution, as I like to call it? Yeah, I was a crack baby. Okay, uh, n- no, but uh, <laughs> like you're allergic to MSG. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what I understand is that crack babies is the result of when a mother uh, partakes in the crack cocaine. Crack cocaine, yes. Uh, during one of uh, during her labor at some point, yep. I don't know how much of it or if it has to be first, second, third oh, trimester. Wait, during la- oh, uh, you said during labor? No, during her trimester. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe she can be smoking crack during labor. <laughs> I mean, she really wants to go like, the full Monty. Just stick with I was it. like, dude, that's really specific. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, the addiction to crack cocaine is transferred over to the wee little baby. Yeah, they basically even say it's when um, a woman smokes crack cocaine and exposes her fetus. To the drug. So, I mean, it's from a very, I mean, by that definition, it's from the earliest stages, you know, of uh, contraception, I guess. Yeah, I, I heard say. it as um, conception. Not oh, sorry. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, I've always heard it as kind of like um, fetal alcohol syndrome, where it's like if, if you're doing crack cocaine or any sort of, most narcotics that it has a high chance of impacting your kid, but crack baby is a very specific one I always heard. Yes. I, which is a really weird thing to think about when you get into it, because think about being addicted to something you've never had before. And also, how would you tell if those babies are having, like, crack symptoms? Like, are they jonesing on a street corner at that point? Or is it just, like, how can you tell that addiction is there? Maybe from the emaciation? I I don't know. I mean, I am very unknowledged on crack. (laughs) I am as well. I'll look up the sentence of fetal alcohol syndrome. Fetal alcohol syndrome is very real. Yeah, I was saying, saying, but I'm sure that... I'm going to hit on it. Okay, then. I'm going to hit on parts of it. So just look up for uh, Virginians while you're at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Oh, 
that's a good one. I'm sorry, Virginia. <laughs> Boo. But fuck you, West Virginia. <laughs> so during the 1980s and 90s, there is a huge, I mean, that's, that was the, the crack cocaine drug craze was in the 80s and 90s. That was, uh, people moved on from cocaine and we just moved on to crack cocaine. Okay. <laughs> but it was, it was a huge thing because people were saying that now, because there's such an influx of, of all these street drugs, particularly crack cocaine, that now 20 years down the line, uh, all these babies would suffer from these physical, emotional, and mental disabilities because of their mother's poor choices. When did the crack epidemic happen? Uh, from the news articles that I read, it, it said that it really uh, ran rampant in the 80s and 90s. Okay. So, so right around today. Yeah, basically the your crack babies would be... Us. You know, pretty much, yeah. Uh, but people got so upset about that because, you know, they it, it enraged them because they figured that was more mouths to feed, more money, you know, from out the taxpayers' pockets and... More welfare. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's what it is. Uh, but what actually came to light, you know, 20 years down the line today was that this was just complete bullshit. There was no scientific evidence that determined a condition, uh, a syndrome or a disorder that warranted the label of being a crack baby. There's no such thing as an actual crack baby. You might have had people whose mothers did drugs while they were, you know, inside of them, but there's nothing that like you could definitely point out and say, oh, these are symptoms that, you know, this therefore makes that person a crack baby. Josh is like pointing right now uh, and just, I'm just imagining him like talking like in inertia like that one's the crack baby. This <laughs> one has all the crack baby symptoms. Well, it just it really bothers me because and I'm going to get a little preachy here because the, the studies were so flawed. These people used baseless accusations and, you know, the, the studies themselves, they had a small sample size and then there was a whole bunch of other contributing factors that just made this data unreliable. And what really happened was that people use this term as a crutch to punish mothers who had some sort of addiction. And instead of getting them the proper help that they needed or using this as a platform to maybe help with mental health awareness and stuff like that, it almost seemed like in some states there was an alliance between doctors and prosecutors to imprison these drug addicted mothers. And, and instead of just reaching out an olive branch to help these people, they were just pretty much like, well, you're going to jail. We're going to take your kid away. So, I mean. On the flip side, not that I'm disagreeing with you on this, yes, nobody should be smoking crack, especially if they are a parent. However, I feel like there is an unnecessary amount of uh, scare added to it, especially if it's not real, because you get blowback from that. You can prevent, you can present all the facts on crack you want to and show how you can be a bad parent as a crack user, but you don't need to like say that your kids are going to be addicted to crack, too. You follow me with that? I feel like there's a million other reasons to call child services, but to get them from the jump from pregnancy and just say they're going to have a crack baby, like, they're not, they don't have any, like, rehabilitation programs for those crack babies. They didn't set anything up like that, did they? No, no, no. But that's a great point. And I was actually going to get to that. But what I was basically trying to, no, 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 seriously. Uh, the bottom line was that these people, they were just basically using scare tactics on these people to to, to just point the, the finger and blame, you know? And drug addiction is a serious problem. Mental illness is a serious problem that needs to be dealt with. And, and I, I mean, I'll get off my soapbox now, but basically what the, these uh, these new tests determined was that these children exposed to, to crack cocaine, they showed no long-term effects on their growth, on their language, on their development, or anything else that can be measured by test scores. They were just normal kids whose mother made bad decisions. And now, I mean, there is some relation between uh, these kids whose mother 
these their mothers used uh, these substances, substance abuse. They had, you know, more prone to ADD, more prone to ADHD, birth defects and premature births and stuff like that. But the bottom line is that this perennial crack exposure had similar effects uh, as a mother smoking cigarettes. And it wasn't even quite as bad as as uh, drinking alcohol while pregnant. Well, drinking alcohol has proven effects. I mean, fetal alcohol syndrome is visually apparent. Yeah, you know. So a lot of the kids get like the cleft lip and clear developmental issues, you know, a little bit slower. It's just it's one of those things that is very apparent. And it's kind of odd to see that where, you know, alcohol, which is considered to be much more of a social thing or a much more accepted substance, has much more of an effect on a fetus than something as I don't okay, I don't want to say demonized. I don't know the right word for it, but I'll just use that as crack cocaine, where it's something that is very bad and has caused a lot of problems. Right. But it you know, it's kind of like one size does not fit all for these drugs. They all have their different pros and cons at some point. Yeah, this is one of those things that unfortunately kind of um you can see us kind of dancing around it because, um, you know, we, we tend to try to avoid the powder kegs and try to not get too political and soapboxy. Uh, it just, the, the whole crack baby thing, unfortunately, really does fall under politics. It falls under a lot of socioeconomic and classist arguments. And it's one of those things that the association it's received, especially as a drug, and then by proxy to these mothers, as you were saying, there's there's this very obvious bias yeah it's, it's, a, a, it's got this very strange narrative built around it it's it's a negative connotation from jump street and and these kids instead of getting the proper help that they need they just point at them and say well that's a crack baby that's a lost cause why are you going to waste your money or time or effort or anything like that on them and that's just simply not the case and, and i don't want to make it seem like you know smoke all the crack cocaine you want while you're pregnant because i mean obviously <laughs> that's not what i'm trying to say at all but I just want th- these these babies who had an unfortunate upbringing to be painted in the right light that that they deserve. It's the new bastard. Yeah, and and to kind of go back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Ryan, was that it's hard to study the effects of crack cocaine on a baby, though, because it's hard to isolate that as a single problem. Uh, There's many surrounding factors associated with these drug-addicted mothers, things like abuse, poverty, neglect. Malnourishment. uh, uh, Malnourishment. Other other drugs, alcoholism. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of factors. You can't really isolate it. Exactly. And so just that's what bothers me is like you can't just point your finger and say one thing in particular. It's just unfortunately there's a bunch of other things, you know, symptoms and and things that go along with it that affect the, the child. But just to say they're a crack baby, it's just not right well let's do the hypothetical controlled study here say you wanted to test the effects of smoking crack while pregnant what you would have to do to get this is have a long overtime like over the course of years study starting with a control group of just regular women that are pregnant and then the test group of women that are pregnant that you get to smoke crack and only crack for certain periods of time up until that baby is born first trimester you have some do it during the second trimester or some during the third some during the whole gamut but like you can't do anything else like you said the controlling factors they can't drink either because that will definitely affect it they can't you know they have to eat the same diets but they got to make sure they're smoking this amount of crack need accurate medical histories for all these people this was it's maybe, a very complicated study <laughs> this yeah. was maybe okay in puerto rico during the 50s when the u.s may have been doing it to some mothers that didn't know about it you know <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Look up the birth control thing. I'm not saying it's not I true. I know what you're referencing. I'm not saying it's not true. 
I mean, we've done stuff like that, but not anymore. Today, it's not considered something called unethical. <laughs> but I like ethics. Yeah. I don't know about y'all. But I guess my last whack at like the dead Mr. Red in the corner over there is that this show, in relation to Crack Babies, is that when you think about this, this is kind of like Reefer Madness. And I think we mentioned Reefer Madness very briefly in the last drugs episode, mm-hmm. where it was this big misinformation campaign against marijuana. And... If you look at the facts or just any research, we will go with empirically crack cocaine is a little bit more detrimental to your health than marijuana. Not saying anything about its legalization status. We're just going by the effects of them on each other. Right. So going from there, yes, crack cocaine should have been fought and there should have been a very legitimate campaign against it to reduce the amount of crack usage. However, when it's something that bad, why do you even have to lie about something like that or put that scare tactic into people? Because, like I said, you're going to get that bounce back. It's back to the health issue argument. Like, we're talking about this right now. Like, what the f***? Y'all were lying to us about crack babies. We could have been smoking all the crack we wanted to while we were pregnant. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, if you really want to uh, further a cause, don't lie about it. You'll get caught. It's going to happen. Especially when the truth is already terrible. Even if it, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You don't need to put any more like toppings on this little cake for crack. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bad enough on its own. Yes. Yeah. This horrible <laughs> crack cake. <laughs> like I said, video supplements coming up. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Uh, Josh, do you have anything else on crack babies? Uh, no, I mean, that's about it. But the one thing I did, I did want to mention, I mean, they studied kids up until they were six years old that were uh, affected by their mothers using crack cocaine. And there was no uh, definite effects that had affected them, you know, over the long t- term throughout their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that all this information that they point to saying, you know, all these things like, you know, this is why it's bad. Um it's just it's it's just like you said it's a scare tactic it's bullshit and i'll just I'm, I'm getting off my soapbox now okay can i step on it now yes all right so this is where it gets a little bit more fun we were getting a little bit heavy a little bit but now i have nothing but ridiculous shit for the rest of the episode Me so too. you ready for it yeah all righty <laughs> okay so <laughs> i don't know why i'm laughing so much uh i'm not high <laughs> Fuck you, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this next topic that we're going to cover is a current times issue. So we got Facebook. We're going to take a Facebook little uh, misinfo bit right now. And it's great. I love it. It is everything I like about these bullshit rumors and everything I hate about them at the same time. And that is smoking bed bugs. Recently, there has been a video going around on Facebook that just goes in cycles. Like every few months where... There is a video about the dangers of teenagers smoking bed bugs now. This is modern Jenkum. We got to have like a new Jenkum every episode that we do for drugs. Did, you mentioned this before, though, in an episode, correct? I, no, I didn't mention this one. Uh, I wanted to, but I believe that we didn't have any real reason to shoot it in there. It wasn't th- in the last episode. I think it was in a supplemental episode. You just you glossed over this. Might have been. Yeah. But this is like the full deal. Nice. So, this video uh, started circulating around Facebook around April 2014. That's important. Okay. A news station was reporting on teenagers crushing up and smoking bed bugs since there was no way to extract the chemical known as PH417 from them. So, what they would do is they just crush up the little bugs and then just load it into your preferred pipe 
or volcano or whatever you cool kids are smoking things with these days. They're totally legal water pipe. Yeah, exactly. And then they would smoke it. And they would get all these crazy effects, like getting high. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they could also the kids could also get sick from another chemical present inside of the bed bugs called Teparate. That's the best spelling I could get from it since I couldn't find one on Google. You can see where I'm going with this one right now. Okay. So it turns out the video was actually about dabbing, which is... <laughs> It it was a clever April 2014 hoax that was actually a news station article about dabbing, which for anybody that is not initiated into that now, it is inhaling butane extracted hash. It's pretty much another form of ingesting THC. Smoking weed. Yeah. It's just you go through extra steps and such and such and such. Oils, waxes, whatever. You you just put in the little technological electro pen and then you just go ahead and smoke it. And it's better for you. Right, no. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, the video was cleverly overdubbed by a YouTuber pulling an April Fool's prank, and you can actually see that uh, near the bed bugs nor the chemicals, the PH417, are actually mentioned in the actual news interviews. You can only hear it in the overdub. So, uh, but the first time I saw it, I was like, there's no fucking way that this is real. Like, as in, like, I was... I wasn't thinking this isn't a real video. I was thinking there's no way they're actually smoking bed bugs. Like, I was like, these kids these days. And I was like, hold up. (laughs) Just put on your big boy hat and then think about this real quick. And then easily it was found out that it's fake. Not only that, I looked up PH417. I have not seen a single instance of that drug being listed anywhere else on the internet. Is that even a real thing? It's As far as I found, no. Okay. So... That is a completely false, bogus video. We'll put it in the show notes. You can watch it yourself. It's entertaining, but you don't have to worry. Nobody's smoking bed bugs unless that guy sent a video out that convinced them to, which is actually another. It's a whole Jenkum situation again. Inevitably, you're going to have some kid that sees that and is going to be like, I know I just saw a video about not doing it, but I'm totally going to do it. I do it. That's what I call the jackass effect. I mean, how many people did you see that like, oh, uh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't jump over this flaming car with rollerblades. These guys did it and, you know, it's probably going to hurt, but I'm going to do it too because it looks like fun. Dude, professional wrestling was the best thing to happen to the halogen light industry. It's stuff like that. Oh, Christ. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad we don't have to worry about smoking bed bugs, Ryan. Is there uh, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, no, I just want to tell you, I got some bed bugs. Okay. We can smoke them after this. Well, my last topic I'm super excited to cover because it was something that when you told me you've heard this, I just never imagined this was a real thing, but it is. And it's amazing. What I'm talking about is the founding father. People believe the founding fathers were a bunch of potheads. They smoked a ton of weed. I believe there was a documentary starring Method Man and Red Man that covered this. No, I'm actually going to reference another documentary that we've talked about before, uh, National Treasure, because some people <laughs> say... Oh, I was thinking a Time Squad. No, I was. Uh, you could have also gone na- National Treasure too. I was thinking um, of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, some people believe that the Constitution was written on hemp paper. Okay, I know we talked about this concept of this one. I have not heard this one, though. I, you're going in a different direction than I knew Yes, of. so I'm going to get to all of it, so... Please tell me I can smoke the Constitution. <laughs> what are you going to do? We're going to smoke the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> I said the Constitution. I know. 
But people also say the Declaration of Independence is written on hem paper as well. Fox News <laughs> thinks it's the same thing anyway. So here's the best part about all this. They have no idea. What? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Not, wait, they can't test it? They the, can. The, are you going to risk a 300-year-old document to see if it's got hemp paper? I, like, think about going up to Smithsonian. They can't, like, cotton swab it or something? I, I, going wait. up to Smithsonian with that is just like, hey, can we take, like, a little tiny corner off of the I Constitution? right here. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking. It was just like, go to Smithsonian. Can we take a little tiny corner off the Constitution? Uh, why? We want to test it. For what? We want to see if we can get high off of it. So here's the thing, though. Some of the working drafts of both documents, the Constitution and the De Declaration of Independence, were written on hemp paper because it was widely used at that time. That was a common thing. So there's not actually a way to tell that GW and company, that's what I call George W. Washington. George W. Washington. George W. Washington. <laughs> George Washington. George Herbert Walker Washington. <laughs> George W. Washington. H.W. So there's not a way to tell that George Washington and company smoked weed, but if they did, they didn't 420 yellow blaze it. Okay. And uh, Ryan, you want to take a guess why? Um, okay. Let me think about this one. Wrong. It's because it's not your grandfather's weed. That's why. Oh, callback. <laughs> Here's my favorite thing. People, so when, when people talk about, oh, well, the, the founding father smoked weed. They, they had hemp farms. That was, was going to say, I, I always heard the, the farms. Yeah. Let me finish. No. No. <laughs> the the <laughs> thing that people point to most when they say that the founding father smoked, smoked weed was a quote by Thomas Jefferson. The quote is, some of my finest hours have been spent on my back veranda, smoking hemp and observing as far as my eye can see. And goddamn, that shit dank. <laughs> yes. Here's, here's the thing, though. TJ never said any of that, nor did, is that in any of his writings. That was a Snoop Dogg lyric, wasn't it? <laughs> no, uh, there's no recorded reference of that ever being said by him or anything like that. So, so are you telling me that somebody made up a quote from Thomas Jefferson? Yes. Who would do that? And then said Michael Scott said he said it? <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's actually not even any evidence that Thomas Jefferson smoked tobacco. So I really don't know where that came from. I feel like Franklin I, I totally did all of those things, though. Just Benjamin Franklin was a wild dude. Benjamin Franklin was a wild dude. The Hellfire Club. I was he, just going to say, you never know what that Hellfire Club. He probably bought bricks over to the <laughs> Hellfire Club meetings. Like, hey, guys, who wants to make a crack, baby? Well, get, getting back to what you guys are saying with hemp farms, uh, hemp was everywhere back in the early colonies. But the reason why is because they used it to make rope. They used it for cloth, uh, for fabric, uh Pulp for paper. I mean, no, everything. hemp is a very useful material. Yeah, I mean, but that explains why George Washington wrote about it, and he wrote about uh, growing hemp on his lands. It was because it was such a fucking useful crop to have. Yeah, I mean, it, it completely makes sense. Now, the last thing before I get into that uh, is going to be John Adams. Now, people like to point at John Adams as well uh, because that is the only maybe kind of sort of possible person who smoked the doobage. And the reason why is 17, in 1763, writing as Humphrey Plojogger. I have no idea if that's correct. That's how I'm saying it. He wrote uh, un, under a pseudonym in the Boston Evening Post. He wrote a odd postscript to a column he wrote about the advantages of growing hemp. And I'm going to try my best to read this, but it's he kind of wrote it all f***ery. So <laughs> the quote is, 
Seems to me if great men don't leave off writing politics, breaking heads, boxing ears, wringing noses, and kicking britches, we shall buy and buy want a world of hemp, more for our own consumption. That's not even close to how he wrote it, but that's what he was trying to say. But what they ended up finding out was that an annotated version of the letter <laughs> by the Massachusetts Historical Society was that Adams was talking about hemp rope to use to hang people <laughs> instead of smoking <laughs> hemp. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not quite uh, what he was going See, for. See, I was first translating that as... Um, Dude, you know, if nobody else is going to let us do it, then we're going to grow our own hemp. Exactly. That's what people like to say. But but that, then it turned into old curmudgeon. We need to hang some people. It's been a while since we've had a good hanging. Yeah. I have a farm. We can make all the rope we want to. Pretty much. So, uh, yep, the founding fathers did not smoke weed. Uh, but the Constitution or the Declaration could be on hemp paper. Not quite sure. We need Nick Cage on this show. I really feel like a simple cotton swab would solve this. <laughs> like, why is this so hard to figure out? Well, in the famous words of John Voight, you need heat. All he says that true. national treasure, so sorry. Anyway, that's, uh, that's the Founding Fathers smoking some greenery. I loved it. So the last topic of the night is going to be a very famous one, and you might not even know it's famous because you might think it's only a friend of a friend of a friend thing. And that is the famous orange juice LSD man. And there are so many iterations of this, and it is very close to my heart because I've heard this on several different occasions. And I started to question it when I heard it from people that don't know each other. <laughs> so I've been told this by my father who worked in a hospital, and he said that somebody walked into the hospital and was exhibiting these symptoms. And then to top that off, in my forensic chemistry class, my own professor in chemistry, PhD, was telling me the story about the same type of dude that had this thing happen to him. And Josh, you heard my dad say this story before. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Um, can I ask you a question? Sure. Have you seen your dad and your forensics teacher in the same room at the same time? No. There you go. I don't remember that. Mm. All right. Just okay. Saying. Okay. Think about it. Man, I'm questioning shit now. <laughs> so this story has so many different iterations. We're only going to go through a few of them. But the idea of it is that a particular person, usually it's, you know, your uncle's friend or, you know, my bro from college's old roommate type of deal. Or Uncle Rusty. Yeah, or Uncle Rusty. <laughs> He's like a mascot at this point. Did one of two things. Either he or she took too much acid, LSD, some type of hallucinogenic drug. Yes, usually it's LSD. I've, I've mainly seen that. Uh, yeah. Over time, like just taking so much of it, or they took way too much at once. And my favorite version of it is like a guy was trying to take a, a sheet of acid, which in, I guess, LSD terms, you have a hit, which is like one little, one LSD. <laughs> and then you have a strip, which is 10 LSD. And then you have a sheet, which is 100. Well, this guy was trying to smuggle a sheet through, I guess, a border or something or away from cops. And oh, and he, he started sweating. He kept it on yeah. his shirt, and then he eventually it got seeped through his skin, and he eventually started tripping like crazy. Right. And the symptom of it was one of two different things. I'm already like just tearing this one down right now. Either they thought they were an orange, and they started to peel his or herself by either taking off their clothes, and sometimes in the stories they started peeling off their own skin. Mm. Or... They thought they were a glass of orange juice, and they didn't want to lie down because they would risk spilling themselves. 
or they didn't want people to touch them or try to drink them. So they ended up in psychiatric hospitals for years to come, and they're still there to this day. So this is a very widely spread story, and I'm sure that almost anybody listening has heard some version of it at yeah. some point. There's definitely some iteration that's made it around to, to, to people, yeah. Yeah, this is like the the new big fish story for drugs. Like It's like always the one that comes around. It's one of those tall tales. Yeah. This is completely untrue as far as anybody with any sort of reputable claim knows. <laughs> this has not been documented in any it's hospital insane. whatsoever. There is a small history to it. So this story started in the mid-1960s, which happened to be right when LSD started to be used a whole lot. It was discovered in 1947 by Albert Hoffman, and then later in the 50s, he reevaluated and found its psychedelic properties. However, uh, it wasn't used by, I guess, the public as like a recreational drug until the 1960s around the Woodstock time. No, in the 50s, the Disney animators were using that to do Alice in Wonderland and stuff. They're not the public, man. Oh, They're okay. part of the system. That's right. <laughs> So the first time this story was in print was a newspaper article talking about a specific person thinking that they were an orange and wanting to peel themselves afterwards. And Dr. Timothy Leary, who was one of the big wigs in the LSD movement, I think it was like uh, drop in, uh, it's like tune in, drop in, drop out. Look at the, th Timothy Leary, the Timothy Leary quote, Greg. Dennis Leary's his son. Uh, just, <laughs> he's not. Biting my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy who was like a doctor, I think at Cambridge or something like that. I, I'm just messing up Timmy Leary's history. This dude turn was big on, on acid. Tune in, drop out. Turn on, tune in, drop out. He was pretty much saying just take LSD and start experiencing your life with this uh, life enhancing substance. Yeah, not good life like, advice. Discovering by the way. yourself. Not good life advice. Wouldn't recommend it. Well, by the amount that he was taking it, yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so he led this movement, but even him, he said, you know, with my 300 plus times of taking LSD, I have never had anything remotely close to that type of thing happen to me, and I've never heard of anybody else having that happen to them. Yeah, bad trips exist, but nobody has been psychiatrically institutionalized for years to come afterwards. Okay. So 1966 is when that first happened, and that already was discredited pretty early on. I would imagine 1964 or so was when it first started uh, spreading around the U.S., that story, and possibly outside the U.S. too. Yeah. However, this is what pisses me off. In 1968, the neuropsychiatrist Duke D. Fisher, who was just, you should be Douche D. Fisher. <laughs> you told him, Ryan. Yeah, I know. Hope he writes me in. So he wrote a book about drug addiction. That's not why he's a douche. Okay. <laughs> so in his chapter about LSD, which... Also, LSD is a non-narcotic. There is no physical addiction to LSD. We'll go with that one right there. There, That's straight up. Already should not be in an addiction book. Oh, yeah, because there's no addictive properties to it. I see what you're saying. Yes. yes 100%. There might be a psychological thing where you like it way too much, but well, nobody is like in LSD relapses. Right. So in his book on LSD, he cites this story saying he had extensive experience with LSD users and said that he knew of a man that was institutionalized because of him thinking he was an orange. So, number one, he never mentions the name of this person or any other details about it. I know there's a whole thing, you know, patient privacy, but when you just say something like that and there's no backup to it, that's a case study right there. You can have a lot of publications come off of that one person. You don't even have to, you know, name them, but you can do a case study and actually have a little bit of information published on it so you can understand that drug a little bit better. Okay. 
This guy decided to just ride on the coattails of a story that he had heard. And the problem with this is, this guy, he's a doctor. He is an actual neuropsychiatrist that is using false information to further himself in a book just so he can have a little anecdotal story. That is what scares me so much because you like to believe that this, like the academic world is, for the most part, honest. But people do these things just to get a leg up or be the next guy to have their like – we were talking about clickbaity stuff beforehand. You need to have that little thing that has a ring to it so people will read your stuff and read everything else. And I feel like that's a real problem in the publisher parish type of uh, environment. This is me being preachy right now. But it shows that the most reputable people sometimes are still not reputable. Well, I mean, what's the difference then if I'm a world-class plastic surgeon and I'm telling you that I have the cure for cancer? I'm a doctor. I'm qualified. Well, I mean, (laughs) I see where you're going with this one right here. Just hold it. Just hold it. (laughs) He's trying to set a fuse. (laughs) I'm a piece of shit. This is a magnesium fuse and it doesn't, it needs to be hotter than that. You got to get a better lighter, get a butane torch. So that's a little bit of a scary issue because, I mean, you see a lot of articles retracted. Uh, There's a lot of Chinese studies that were recently pulled out because they just were straight up faking the data. Uh, Yeah, we've mentioned that before. Yeah, there was a documentary, too, about – this is totally off base. But there was a documentary, too, about this man named uh, Heinrich Schuller, I want to say, The Terrifying Secret. It's on Netflix, and he was the guy that was supposed to revolutionize the – industry of semiconductors and like solve the problem with pretty much making technology smaller and smaller and getting over that gap of like the space issue however it turns out that he was lying because two people took his graphs and just overlaid them over each other in the same goddamn graph that never (laughs) happens when you have any sort of experimental results right so it, it just shows like you know you have to be wary i mean i know we use a lot of scientific studies but first of all, if there's a retraction, we'll mention it immediately. We will get to that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if there's anything that we cite that changes over time, then we're going to talk about it. Well, not only that, we make sure that the sources that we get are reputable. Like a lot of times we get stuff from the National Institute of Health. But look at this dude. See, we read his book. What's to tell us that he isn't reputable? Except for the fact that everybody else has told this story and then nobody's been able to back it up or give a name to it. You so know? what you're telling me is that it's just a big game of telephone that people are repeating over and over again, right? Yeah, it's uh, Rumari Fugit. Yeah, it sounds like somebody should start a podcast about that. Oh, yeah, I know, right? That's all I'm saying. So after that little rant Get on it? my part, which makes things harder for us for this show, uh, we'll go into some theories of why this is such a popular type of myth or story that goes around. And a lot of people think that the first one's a little bit wacky, but it has some basis to it. A lot of times when people are on psychedelics, they have this sort of environmental uh, association where anything that they're around, like a lot of people that's reported, like whenever they smoke something or they take some sort of psychedelic, they will be part of what they are around or they see or they focus on. Like they just associate with that. Josh, what you laughing about? I am he as you are we. Yes. That's all I was thinking That's of. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and some people thought that, like, you know, there was an orange in the room or there's some orange juice. I just don't get why that many people tripping have orange juice around them. I don't, that's, a, that's really specific. Yeah. The second one makes a little bit more, uh, a little bit more sense. And Greg's going to start, like, quivering with excitement once I say this. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Wait. Are you suggesting that? Oh. Yes. So <laughs> after that first little seed was planted of the orange juice story, other people may have taken psychedelics and have 
all of a sudden had this little seed spout into a little psychedelic tree in their head and they think that they are an orange or orange juice. But none of them have been institutionalized. But it's another one of those things of just like self-fulfilling prophecy, power suggestion. You do it to yourself. You expect this to happen, so your mind will do anything possible for it to happen. Yeah. And psychedelics are still very misunderstood, or rather, when I say that, they their mechanisms of action are not quite well studied. And it's because there's a lot of regulations that prevent us from being able to study it. But these things, like the way that would happen, it could be true. The jury's still out on that type of thing. But in terms of the actual story of this happening with somebody being institutionalized or trying to peel their skin off, no. Nah. There are no recorded studies of that one. Nah, bro. Yeah. As we would like to say it, bullshit. Yep. <laughs> That's me for today. No other show. I do have one little uh, wrap-up thing that I forgot to mention earlier in the THC bit. Okay. So THC, it, when it's in the liver, it's metabolized originally. It sped up the metabolization by cytochrome 450, I believe is the number. Greg, you want to just back me up on that one real quick? I believe that's what he said earlier. Cytochrome uh, 450. Yeah. That is also something that we have mentioned before in a previous food episode. Grapefruit juice, uh, ferronicumarin, interferes with cytochrome 450 so you can get a buildup of THC in your system if uh, you drink too much grapefruit juice. Look at that. So don't detox yourself with grapefruit juice. I, I, that was like a little passing thing where I was like, that looks familiar. I'll go ahead and hit that. But I didn't see anything about, you know, cannabis or weed or anything like that in the previous studies that we did. So I guess that might be a little bit of connection that somebody missed right there. Maybe we'll get you a better high if you just drink grapefruit juice and smoke weed. Don't do anything illegal. <laughs> so. And backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Yep, there we go. <laughs> Well, I, I, I love this episode. Like, I, I thought it was so interesting to finally sit down and actually figure out why you could fail a drug test with poppy seeds. I mean... I didn't really give too much thought to smoking bed bugs. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you on that one. Hey, if you haven't seen our chili pepper episode yet on the YouTube, you should watch it because you get to see all the different remedies that we, you know, eat. Now we're going to see what works the best. Bed bugs, poppy tea, grapefruit and weed. Well, one of the things that I did want to mention when you talk about the THC being lipophilic, isn't isn't uh, capsaicin lipophilic as well? Capsaicin is lipophilic as well. A lot of organic substances are. See, Ryan, I listen to you. I don't know what any of those words mean, but I know that they're similar. He's like a just awesome manly parrot. <laughs> yeah, it's like the word search. He's like, oh, I see it over there. I think I know that one. <laughs> I, I, I got to be honest with you. I love the bit about the founding father smoking weed. That was so fun to just dive into and just to see all the insane theories. I like, feel like we could have gone I further down that rabbit hole. We don't know what it's made out of. That's bothering me. I'm like, there has to be an easy way to check well, this. Well, it's just it's just a spectrometer or something. I mean, like, I'm big sure word, something. OK, so I want you to think about this, Greg. Convince either Bill O'Reilly or Glenn Beck to let you take the Constitution and test it to see if it's made of hemp. Say, say it was true. People would lose their shit. <laughs> and not On both sides. Yeah. Look, guys, it's okay. Y'all can let us handle it for a few hours. Worth rumor flies. <laughs> well, so my whole thing is that it's if they were to test it, there's a strong indication it would, it would come back positive for hemp. But that's because it was such a common thing to have back then. That is why George Washington owned fields of hemp, you know, on his land. It was because it was a great way to make money. Also, not all weed gets you high. For the yeah. marijuana plant, very little of it does, actually. Only certain buds do. And the rest of the plant you can use for tons of other things. It's useful in many different ways. But 
it doesn't mean that like I don't think even for hemp like if you were to use the paper, I don't think they're even using the psychoactive portion of the plant. Well, no, in hemp, order to make the paper, hemp has a very low level of THC to begin with, and I mean like you said, that's the active ingredient to that gets you high. So I, I, they would have to smoke a shit ton of hemp, and why? I mean th that's like smoking corn, okay? Like if I wanted to, I'm sure that I could, but there's much better uses for it. Yeah, just smoke peanut skins instead. Exactly, we've covered that. How many how many references have we made back to our show in this episode? Hey Ryan, sick reference, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to edit in all the different like episode number uh, references afterwards. No, we'll just we'll just little yeah. bing. We'll just let Greg uh, do that in the show notes on the <laughs> website. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. Well, yeah. we we uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this. This was a really fun episode for us. It was very different than our previous drugs episode, but it it, it, it this was more fun. I mean, we got a little serious at times, but we really hope that you you liked what we had to say. I like this format. I think we might want to stick with this for some of the episodes like this in the future. I, I think it was cool. Hopefully, we'll be able to like you know crank out another drugs episode eventually. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the, the last couple things that I do want to mention before we uh, we wrap this up, um, if you guys could please, please, pretty please, would you guys please go rate us on iTunes? It'd be wonderful. Like, we're not desperate or anything, but, you know, if you could, like, if you happen to be there or something. And we know just... it's a serious pain. It's a, They make it a ridiculous process, but it means a lot, and it's totally free for you to do, and it helps us a ton. And yeah. if you happen to have YouTube open in a different tab at the same time, like, you know, <laughs> like, subscribe to us. That, that would be absolutely wonderful. And so. go fight the YouTube commenters that think Greg's a douche. <laughs> You know, at this point, I'm just like, what if he's right? What if that one YouTube comment's right? Somebody put Greg through an existential crisis just from one comment. It's amazing. Dude, as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know, I should be above this, and I really shouldn't care what YouTube thinks, but someone out there is really mean to me. And gosh gone it, people like me. Oh, God. <laughs> so thanks again, everyone. Uh, iTunes reviews, wonderful. If you can do that, YouTube, subscribe, that'd be great. Uh, Greg, how else can they contact us per usual? So uh, we are on rumorfliespodcast.com. You can contact us at rumorflies at gmail.com, Twitter and Instagram at rumorflies. You can find us on Google Plus, rumorflies, and facebook.com. <laughs> I know here's like dancing, making plus signs. Um, facebook.com slash rumorflies and YouTube with the random scramble of numbers and letters until you subscribe. We get 100 subscribers. We have a spice video if you haven't seen it. Um, watch me basically dance in a chair as I'm dying from habanero. <laughs> yeah. And it, well, Ryan, I think Ryan's, Ryan's initial reaction to his uh, Carolina Reaper, it was just amazing. You know, I'm thinking I got a kind of weak one. Once my other ones start growing, I think I'm going to try that and do a rehash of that one. You, know, you so. say that now. I don't think you remember how you felt then. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You watch. Well, um... Just, oh. just go see for yourself. See, you just act like a bunch of idiots. You know, like that's what we normally we do. Suffer, so you don't have to. As long as you subscribe. Uh, one last thing. Uh, we have the song of the week. I can say it live right now. It is going to be appropriately a song called Xanax by the artist Elohim. And she was great and let us put the song on there and was really excited about it. And uh, thank you for letting us do this, Elohim. Thank you so much. Great. And actually, thank you to all the artists that let us do this. We. We actually asked permission. We're not just ripping songs for the record. Yeah, everybody that uh, that we feature on the podcast has given us the A-OK -okay to be on here. So that's really awesome. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so Elohim, Xanax is a song. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. I'm Greg. Bye. Meh.